SEC Senior Insider Ken Rosenthal with us, big part of breaking the story yesterday and also obviously a part of the breaking news show. So, Ken, let's kind of re-wrap now that you've had more time to digest everything and learn more about the deal. What are your overall thoughts? And I'll mix this in right from the jump. Do you think that new ownership has anything to do with this? When I say anything to do with this, I even mean the fact that a deal is agreed to and they know that this money will be passed on eventually to another group that now can worry about that. I'm not sure, Scott. My guess is no. And the reason I say that is that these talks were going on in December. The Orioles would have done it then. The framework of what ultimately became the deal was discussed then. The Brewers weren't ready. So if the Orioles were ready to do it then or willing to do it then, their willingness did not go away. They still wanted to do it. And it seems to me that it's a bit of a coincidence that it happened this week. And really, the decision was the Brewers more than the Orioles in that sense. So when you look at this trade, obviously, there are a number of ways to look at it, like any trade. From the Orioles' perspective, you guys covered it pretty well. It's a brilliant, beautiful move. It's the guy they needed. We've all talked all winter long about how they needed a number one starter, and Corbin Burns is one of the top five or ten starters in the game. No question. As for the free agency and the possibility of him walking, that's fine. You have to take a shot when you're in the position they are, coming off 101 wins, great young core, they are ready to go, and maybe it doesn't work, and maybe Joey Ortiz and D.L. Hall become really good players for the Brewers. That's entirely possible, that scenario. But for the Orioles, you still have to take that shot. For the Brewers, I wrote about this today. In my opinion, they had to do it. And I know fans don't like hearing that. Certainly Brewers fans don't want to hear that. They didn't like the hater trade, understandably so. And they won't like it if Willie Adamas and or... Devin Williams are the next to go. But this is the way the Brewers and teams in their financial position operate. And you can argue with me as people are in comments that Mark Atanasio has more money and should be able to carry this. I get it, and I don't disagree with that. But that's not the point. And that's not how the team is run. The team is run according to its revenues, for better or worse. And their revenues are not what the Dodgers are. Now, that's a systematic issue in the game. We've talked about that a lot. But if you're the Brewers and you face the possibility of losing Corbin Burns for only a draft pick, that's going to hurt you going forward. As opposed to Joey Ortiz, D.L. Hall, and the 34th pick in the draft, which is about the pick you would have gotten for Burns, you're getting that plus two players who could help you right away for a rental. To me, you do that every day of the week. I was surprised they didn't do it sooner. And will they be as competitive? Of course not. They're not going to be as competitive without Corbin Burns. But they are set up now to be better over a five-year period than, say, 2024 if they suffer a little bit. And if you're the Brewers, in my opinion, you have to make that deal. Hey, Junior, thank you for proving Scott wrong and proving my point that this has been going on, and it wasn't just because the new ownership came in. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, now, Always are the O's done? Th thanks, well, Junior. For the record, I, I still – I actually, in a rare moment here, disagree and think that the ownership change puts it over the top on the money. I, I think John Angelos, an extra 16 mil. Just, just my take that something behind the scenes makes this much easier to accomplish. That's me. Go ahead, AJ. Well, no, I, I want – are the O's done? That's my question. Are they done? Because there's still some names out there. I mean, Dylan Cease has been talked about being traded there before. Montgomery, Snell. I mean, people are saying like, oh, they're not done. They might do more. 
Did the O's no, my understanding is that they're not going to be involved in major league players from here on through spring training. They might do some minor league deals, but they're not going to be on Snell. They're not going to be on Montgomery. The ownership change will be perhaps transformative, but not right away. And keep in mind, the new owners have not been approved yet. It's not like this has gone through and everything's set. It's not set. And it won't be until... Major League Baseball makes the decision, the call, that these guys are okay. We're approving them first as 40% owners, and then maybe in time, if they exercise an option, 100% owners. So this is why also, Scott, I just don't think that this decision or the ownership change played a huge role in it. Those guys can say things, and they can maybe tell John Angelos, we'd like you to do this, but they don't have any say just yet. They're not there. David Rubenstein is not the control person at this point. Once he is approved, different story. And then you may see some things change. Let me ask you this, Ken, um, briefly. Was there any other teams that were like gung-ho about getting Corbin Burns? Like who missed out on him and uh, like the opportunities are there like for bigger teams to pick him up and now Orioles got him. So do you know of any other teams that were gung-ho about getting Corbin Burns that were right there trying to get him that almost had a shot? Todd, this is a really good question. And one I've thought about over the last, whatever, 18 hours, my initial tip on this was that, yes, the Brewers are talking about Burns more actively than, I don't know, two weeks ago, and the Orioles and the Giants were the two teams. Now, I have not confirmed the Giants were in. It would make sense that they were in, and I'm sure other teams have inquired. But go back to what I said a minute ago. These talks between the Orioles and Brewers were going on in December. The Brewers had an idea what the Orioles would give them, what this would take. And they seemed, from what I understand, to be okay with that. The two players plus the draft pick. It seems that that framework, maybe it wasn't exactly discussed that way. Maybe it wasn't the exact three things they got, but they were kind of discussing it. So it seems to me that the Brewers like that trade. I don't know that they shopped the offer. Maybe they just went right to the Orioles and said, okay, we're ready now. I don't know. That's a good question. Ken, do you think that Willie Adamas is next, perhaps even before we get to spring training? Because clearly a decision has been made here by Milwaukee about players that are about to enter free agency. And obviously the value for Adamas is not going to be what it is for Corbin Burns. But this is a pretty darn good shortstop. There are definitely teams that could use one. And I feel like at the trade deadline, position players haven't been commanding that much. So maybe a full season gets them more. Scott, you're absolutely right about that. It's much easier to trade pitchers at the deadline than to squeeze in a position player when, in most cases, you already have a player at that position. With pitchers, you're adding to what you have, and you still need them. So, yes, I expect that the Brewers will at least entertain offers for Adamas. In fact, their general manager, Matt Arnold, said in a Zoom last night that certainly they're going to listen and entertain everything because that's where they are right now. So teams always do, but the fact that he didn't shut it down kind of said to me, uh, Adamas perhaps, and maybe even Devin Williams. It depends on how this plays out. They can trade Willie Adamas and really be okay. Obviously, Willie is a veteran player and a really good player, and Joey Ortiz is not going to be him immediately. Bryce Terang, if they move him to short, certainly not the offensive threat that Willie Adamas is, but they have a lot of infielders, and they can do this and possibly still be in a pretty good position. So I don't know that – I would say this. I don't know that it is definitely 
going to happen, but it would make a lot of sense to me if it did. Okay, so now the AL East has totally changed again. It went from Soto with the Yankees. Uh, a couple other things went down, but this is a monster thing that's going to happen in the AL East. Does this change uh, the outlook for, say, uh, you know, Toronto or Yankees or Toronto um, or Boston to go out there and try and find somebody else, trade-wise or free agent-wise? Todd, teams always say that we're only going to do what we have to do. We're not worried about the other teams. And to a degree, that's true. I don't know that the Yankees now turn around and say we have to have Blake Snell. That's not their thinking. And who knows? Corbin Burns, as good as he is, is not necessarily going to put the Orioles over the top. But it certainly changes the dynamic of the division. I don't know that it changes any future transactions. and I don't know that it pushes Boston to finally spend here. But... Clearly, the Orioles are the front runner here. They're the team that won 101 games and won the division last year, and they have gotten better. They've added Kimbrell, and now they've added Burns. So the challenge for the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Rays, the Red Sox is going to be erasing that deficit, and it doesn't have to happen right now. These teams can also assess at the deadline where they are and then go from there and try to add, and we'll see where the Orioles are. We all assume that they're going to get better and better and better, but as we know, Baseball players, baseball teams do not always follow linear progressions. Sometimes it goes like this a little bit, right? So we got to play the games, guys. And I don't know that anybody should be giving the Orioles anything yet. Just like I don't know that anybody should be giving the Dodgers anything yet. We'll see what happens. We'll see how this all plays out. Uh, who's next? Who's next, Ken? Who, who's, who's the next trade chip? Because we've, we've heard the names Bieber, Burns, Cease, right? Those are the three big trade trips. You talked about Adamas. But of those three, who would be the next likely to be traded? And did, what does this do for the Dylan Cease market? Because it seems like we saw the Glass now package. Now we've seen the Burns package. Chris Getz apparently is asking for the world for Dylan Cease. Does this change any of their thinking of other teams now? Because one of these three has been moved? It shouldn't. Now, maybe it increases the desire of teams that need a starting pitcher to throw in the extra piece the White Sox are seeking. I don't know that. I will say this, though, and this we all know. Dylan Cease is under club control for two more years. Corbin Burns was one. Tyler Glass now is one. That's a huge difference when you're talking about a trade. And if the White Sox do hold Dylan Cease to the deadline, guess who the hottest guy at the deadline is going to be when all teams are looking for starting pitching? It's going to be Dylan Cease. Now, I am reluctant. If I were the White Sox GM, Chris Getz, I'd be reluctant to keep Dylan Cease and take him into the season, just fearing the possibility of injury. If he gets hurt, then you don't make a trade. You don't have the ability to make a trade. I know that's, I don't know, a 10%, 20%, 30% chance, but there is that risk. So they've been pretty adamant, the White Sox have, about what they want. They've been steadfast about it. They are not budging, it seems. And I don't know that because Corbin Burns was traded, it means that Dylan Cease will get traded. The only thing that might change that dynamic is if the teams that are looking for starting pitching and they don't like Blake Snell's price and they can't get Jordan Montgomery because he's going to the Rangers or wherever else, who knows? Maybe they're desiring creases to make that extra push to relent on the one prospect that is holding this up in their head. I don't know that that happens, but that is a possibility for sure. 
last layer for me on the burn situation is the National League Central because, like you mentioned, the Brewers are not going to be as good as they were last year. I doubt that they're going to win the NL Central by nine games this coming season. So with that being said, even though the rest of the division might say, hey, wise move, this will make them more of a pain long term, on the short term, shouldn't the NL Central be capitalizing? I think the Reds are done, but I'm really pointing to a team like the Cubs because for me, the Brewers like looked like they were a better team. Plus you have the council dynamic and I don't know, it just feels like the Cubs have been pretty quiet still. So do you think this affects the division at all? Certainly. And we all know that the Brewers coming off last year with Burns were going to be a formidable team again. And they had added Reese Hoskins. They've got Jackson Churio coming. We don't know what he's going to be yet, but the possibility is there that he'll be a force in the major leagues this year. The Cubs we've been waiting for all offseason. And they're not alone. We're waiting for, still for other teams, the Red Sox, the Giants, a number of others, even the Marlins on a lower level to get going a little bit. So I would think the Cubs still are going to be the team for Cody Bellinger. Until proven otherwise, until seeing someone else jump out on him, I don't see where else it would be, or I don't see any place more logical than the Cubs. And yet, there's a better opportunity short-term now for the Cubs to become a force in the division. They already have done some things, Imanaga, Michael Bush coming over, but clearly they need to do more, and Jed Hoyer, the president of baseball operations, has said that they will do more. Let's uh, flip gears a little bit. Theo Epstein, now back with the Red Sox. He's joining the Fenway Sports Group as a senior advisor. Is this going to help the Red Sox out? He's been there before. He knows what he's doing. As a senior advisor, are they going to give him a little more leeway to talk things through to help them out, maybe get some free agents or make some trades during the season? Talk to us about that move, and uh, I think it's a really good move for the Red Sox. I agree. The way to get free agents, though, Todd, is not to hire Theo Epstein. It's to offer them the most money. (laughs) And that has been the problem with the Red Sox this offseason. What Theo Epstein can give them is more stability. They've got a new president of baseball operations, a guy that I guess Theo had recommended, Craig Breslow. And from the perspective of him being new, Breslow, and Theo coming in, certainly Theo's familiar with some of the other members of the front office. And it just gives them an extra layer an extra voice and a guy who's done it and done it at the highest level and basically is a Hall of Fame general manager right now. So yes, it's going to help them. It's interesting that it comes out now and that the move is made now. I know it's been kind of in the works, but their publicity or their offseason PR could not have been any worse. And this doesn't change anything. It doesn't make them have a player just yet or give them the opportunity to get a player. But It's Theo Epstein. His name in Boston is legendary. And certainly, going forward, there's no question that he adds to that group that they have. Ken, last one. And obviously, I have to start with like a little whatever you want to call it, dad joke or something. But the Red Sox said full throttle. This is their full throttle move. Theo Epstein's back. Okay, so I'm just trying to think dynamic psychology wise how much he can actually affect, say, ownership. Because in my mind, clearly, there's a lot of indecision when you have one owner say full throttle and then what, a month or two later, they're like, actually, we're kind of slashing payroll a little bit from what it was last year. Can Theo at least provide the stability of saying, hey, let's have one plan 
and go straight through with it. And also from a PR perspective, I think Theo's done a pretty good job for his own reputation in multiple cities. So do you think he has an impact like that? Because of course, I think if you sat down with him and ownership was like, what do you think we should do? He'd probably be like, I think we should buy some, buy some pitching guys. What do you think? Scott, that might be his biggest impact. Just what you're talking about there. The liaison between ownership and the front office and getting those lines of communication smoother for lack of a better term. And if you remember, Britt Giroli wrote a column, I think she talked about this on our show, basically saying, hey, what is with the Red Sox sending these mixed messages? What's going on here? Asking the question that a lot of fans have been asking too. And with Theo Epstein there, he is best friends with Sam Kennedy, their team president. He obviously has worked for John Henry and Tom Werner before. And as I said, he knows Breslow really well. So it seems to me that that might be his biggest value just getting everyone on the same page, and of course, adding his baseball expertise and business expertise as well. All of that is good, and it seems like, certainly from the outside, right, it seems like that is needed. Ken, great work, and of course, thanks again for all the work last night too. It was great to get it out there to the world very quickly, and uh, have a great weekend. I'm sure it'll be busy. We'll see you next week. Thanks, guys.